All right, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you here today. I want to say welcome to everybody, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. And if you happen to be new to Plum Creek, you picked a great day to be here because we're starting a new sermon series today. We're going to look at the life of a man named Joseph. And this is not the Joseph we know from the Christmas story. This is old school Joseph. He appears back in the Old Testament, way back in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And as we read this story, you will notice that Joseph gets a lot of airtime. In fact, Genesis devotes more space to Joseph than any other human character. And that includes Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, when it comes to Joseph, there's just a lot to write about. This guy had a dramatic life. So we're going to take six weeks to walk through this series and this story. And as we do, we're going to keep two big questions in mind. These two big questions were very important for Joseph, and they're also very important for us. Here's question number one. What difference does it make when you truly believe that God is with you? right here. He's by your side. His presence is real. He makes a difference. And then the second question is this, what difference does it make when you truly believe that God will set things right if you keep trusting in Him? Now, I don't know if you find these questions especially relevant at the moment, but I can assure you what we're talking about over the next few weeks this can have a radical effect on your life, for better or for worse. So I'm excited to see what God will do over the course of this series. Now, uh, most of us are at least somewhat familiar with the story of Joseph, but I want to start with a little introduction. And to do that, I want to show you a timeline. Now, right here, this is a generic timeline of any person's life, really. Uh, it starts with birth over on the left side, and it ends with death on the right side. Now, that red line in the middle, that represents the circumstances of a person's life. When things are going well, that red line goes up. But when life takes a bad turn, the line drops like a rock. Now, here in this template, the red line is just flat. No highs or lows or peaks or valleys. And who do you know with a life that looks like that? I'll tell you who. Nobody. Because <laughs> we all have highs and lows, don't we? But in the case of some of us, life is like a roller coaster. So uh, I want to show you a, a timeline that looks a little more like Joseph's life. It had plenty of highs, plenty of lows. This is kind of a, a rough approximation of what his life might have looked like. But he lived a roller coaster life if there ever was one. In fact, I'll give you just a quick overview. Let's look at six waypoints from Joseph's life, one for every week of this series. Now, in today's part of the story, we meet Joseph as a young man. And here, man, things were good. See how high that red line is? These were happy times. And you see that coat there, that, that represents a very positive thing for Joseph because he grew up as the favorite son of a very loving and very wealthy father. But that coat also caused some problems. It, it was a gift from dad, 
Um, but it, things got complicated. We'll see that here in a few minutes. Uh, as we'll see, though, the good times don't last for Joseph. Uh, that roller coaster takes a dive when his brothers betray him. They turn against him. They, they throw him into a pit, and then eventually they sell him into slavery. He's carried off to the land of Egypt, and he lives as a slave in this faraway land. So that's a low point. But then God blesses Joseph, and things take a dramatic turn for the better. He gets a big promotion, and it looks like happy days are here again. But some of you know, things don't stay that way. Joseph is falsely accused of sexual assault, and he's thrown into prison. He spends a long time in prison. But as you might guess, he doesn't stay there. Once again, God blesses him in a huge way this time, and Joseph becomes the right-hand man to Pharaoh, the great monarch of Egypt. At this point, Joseph is one of the most powerful men in the entire world. Can't get much better than that, can it? Actually, it does get better. Because toward the very end of the story, Joseph, who had been separated from his family for years and years, separated from the father who loved him, Joseph has this reunion. He, he is back with his family. There is reconciliation, restoration, healing. It's a beautiful thing. But the most amazing part of this whole story has to do with those two questions that I mentioned earlier. Through all of those highs and lows, Joseph truly believed that God was with him. And he truly believed that if he kept trusting in God, he would ultimately set things right. Now, if, if we open our hearts and really listen to what God wants to say to us, as we go through this story, I'm confident that God will help us follow the example of Joseph, which will change our lives in a powerful way. And now uh, we're ready to, to go into this story, take a closer look at Joseph's life. And if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Genesis chapter 37. You know, we always put these verses up on the screen, uh, but I want to encourage you to get your own Bible and follow along. Uh, you don't want to just take my word for it. But here we go, Genesis chapter 37, starting with verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Okay, we didn't get very far, but let's stop right there. We're going to hear a lot about Joseph, but in these first two sentences, the focus is on a man named Jacob, who was also known as Israel. And this is very important for us to understand. See, earlier in the book of Genesis, we read about the patriarchs, the forefathers of the nation of Israel. I, I am confident that these guys had cool beards, all of them. But uh, these, these men, they were the early strong figures in, in the days of God's chosen people, the earliest days. And God established a special relationship with a man named Abraham, who happened to be Joseph's great-grandfather. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, who was Joseph's father. Now, I, I have to imagine that Joseph, or Jacob got a lot of Father's Day presents because he had 12 sons 
and one daughter by four different women. Now think about that. Thirteen kids, four women. Uh, if that sounds complicated to you, uh, you're right. Because as we look into Jacob's family, we see all kinds of drama. These people have issues. So let's, let's pick up where we left off and get into some of this drama. Uh, Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So here we go. Let the dysfunction begin. But really, here, this sounds like some of the family problems that we could have today, right? Certain members of the family feel like they're being treated unfairly, and then they get mad. And in a lot of cases, that anger and resentment is buried underneath the surface. And if it doesn't get resolved, what happens? That, that anger explodes, and, and then you've got a major conflict on your hands. That's what we're about to see here. The truth is, Jacob's whole family is a mess. And you know what? Jacob set them up for that mess. Something you should know about these patriarchs, they were not perfect, not even close. And in a way, that's comforting because God still used them in a significant way. Uh, that's great to hear because none of us are perfect, too. And, and God will use you, no matter who you are, no matter what your past is. If you allow him, God will use you in a significant way. At the same time, though, we can learn some important lessons from these guys about what not to do. Now, Jacob, he did have a sincere faith in God, but he also made some big mistakes. So let's take a moment and think about three ways Jacob set his family up to have some issues. First, Jacob was not a one-woman man. I mentioned this earlier. Jacob was a four-woman man. He married Rachel, who was the woman he truly loved, but he also married Leah, a woman he did not love. And, and we can't totally blame Jacob for that because he was actually tricked into marrying Leah. Now, that's a story for another time. Uh, however, Jacob wasn't done. Not only did he have children with Rachel and Leah, he was also the baby daddy for two other women, Bilhah and Zilpah. Now, just a side note here, don't assume that uh, God approved of everything these patriarchs did. That's not the case at all. The fact that Jacob had multiple wives, that doesn't mean God endorses polygamy. Now, these guys did lots of things that went against God's will, and Genesis just tells the story. The truth is, Scripture has a consistent message about marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And you are called to be faithful to your spouse. But we can see why God set things up that way when we look at Jacob's life and his family. 
You got jealousy among the women. You got conflict between the kids. And Jacob set them up for that. But he also set up his family poorly when he practiced favoritism. As we saw earlier, Joseph's brothers actually were treated unfairly. And there were some deep-seated reasons for that. Let's go back and look at that family portrait. Jacob had 12 children, or 13 children, 12 boys and one girl. But out of all those kids, Joseph was the golden child. He had a very special place in Jacob's heart. And that in itself is not a problem, but it becomes a problem when you show more love to one child and less love to the others. And Jacob made no secret that he favored Joseph above his siblings. And where do you think that favoritism came from? Well, the Bible tells us one thing. It says J Joseph was born in Jacob's old age. So he was special in that way. But it also had something to do with the fact that Joseph was Rachel's son. Rachel, the woman that Jacob truly loved. So yeah, J Joseph was the favorite. But Jacob was not subtle about that favoritism either. He rubbed it in the faces of those brothers by giving Joseph a very special, ornate robe. It's that famous coat of many colors. And there's a lot of speculation about what this coat may have looked like, but the important thing is what the coat symbolized. It was a constant symbol of that open favoritism and unfair treatment. And if you want to avoid the kind of resentment that we see here, it's a good idea to be consistent in the way that you express love to your family. Now, there's one more way that Jacob did significant damage in his home. Jacob was a passive father. When there was a problem in his household, you just couldn't count on him to deal with it. And we're not talking about an isolated incident here. This was a consistent pattern. Uh, I'll give you a few examples at one point, Jacob's wives became consumed with jealousy. They basically had a competition to see who could provide Jacob with the most children. And we don't see any evidence that Jacob took the initiative here and tried to work for reconciliation and peace. Another example was something tragic. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was raped. And his immediate response was to sit by and do nothing. Now, two of Jacob's sons saw this, and they were furious, and they got revenge. They went to the perpetrator's town, and they brutally murdered every man who lived there. And all along, Jacob was passive. And then here in this chapter, Jacob allowed this conflict between his sons to, to develop right under his nose. And not only was he passive, he also poured fuel on the fire. So men, this is a powerful lesson for us today. If you are a husband or a father right now, or even if you're not there yet, pay attention. Passive men damage families. God calls us to take responsibility, to step up to a role of leadership instead of abdicating that responsibility and, and putting that weight on your wife's shoulders. So when there is a conflict that needs to be addressed, confront it with love 
And when there's something causing spiritual damage in your home, don't just assume that everything will work out over time. And then if you see that your family is not showing a strong love for Christ and a commitment to Him, lead by example. The truth is, we can learn from Jacob here about some things that we shouldn't do. And we can also ask God to help us avoid his mistakes. You know, as we follow Joseph's story, we see a lot of his suffering was not his fault at all. He was dealt a difficult hand from the legacy that was passed down in his family. However, I'm not saying that Joseph was perfect either. In Genesis 37 verse 2, Joseph was out in the fields with his brothers, and he saw something that his father probably wouldn't like. And he was more than happy to go home and give a bad report to dad. Now, it is possible that the brothers deserved that bad report. It's also possible that Joseph was just a tattletale. The bottom line is, though, Joseph knew how to play the game. You see, he he had already won his father's affection. But he ran up the score by talking bad about his brothers. And if Joseph was the winner... The brothers felt like a bunch of losers. And like many of us guys, the brothers hated to lose. So gradually, their anger and their resentment began to build until one day, Joseph was the one who threw fuel on the fire. Let's read on. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph, Joseph, so young, so naive. What was he thinking here? If he had any emotional intelligence at all, he would have known that he is kicking the hornet's nest. But apparently... Joseph was either arrogant or clueless because he has another dream. Another dream that his brothers would not like. But he tells them that one, too. Listen, verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now this time, even dad was annoyed. This was a little much for him to take, even from his favorite son. However, the irony is... Many years down the road, these two dreams actually come to pass. For the moment, though, Jacob's household is in a mess. Uh, Joseph was annoying. The brothers hated him. And things in general are just not going very well. But they're about to get much, much worse. Those dreams brought Joseph's brothers to the boiling point, and they were ready to resort to violence. In verse 12, they got the perfect opportunity. 
Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So Jacob said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. So Jacob sent Joseph far away to check on his brothers in a place where nobody would be there to stop them from doing whatever they wanted to Joseph. Now, we won't get into the details until next week, but as we'll see, the brothers nearly kill Joseph, they throw him into a cistern, and then they sell him into slavery, and he's carried off to the land of Egypt. He's far, far from home, living as a slave. It's the first big drop on the roller coaster of Joseph's life. He's going to face all kinds of adversity and suffering, but not because of his own decisions. It's because of the cruel decisions of others. So, sure, Joseph was kind of a brat. He was annoying. But did he deserve this? I think it's clear. No, Joseph didn't have the perfect attitude with his brothers but the treatment he got was extremely unfair. And you know how we often respond when things are unfair? We start asking, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering because of something somebody else did? And why was I dealt the hand that I got in my family? And that leads us to an even bigger question. Where is God in all of this? If he has the power to help me and he really loves me, why isn't he doing something? Why am I getting such a bad deal? And we could actually ask those questions on Joseph's behalf again and again because we're going to see him hit one low point after another. And we might be tempted to say, hey, that wasn't his fault. Why didn't God protect him from that? And why is God waiting so long to come to the rescue? That takes us back to our original questions. What difference does it make when you truly believe that God is with you? Does that make any difference? And what difference does it make when you truly believe that God will ultimately set things right if you keep trusting in Him? Now, we can get very wrapped up in the moment. And uh, we think about what's wrong right now and, and how we want things to be fixed. But God has a much bigger point of view. And I don't want to give away the story, but I do want to go back to our timeline and show you something very cool, something we'll see over the next few weeks. There is a certain phrase that repeatedly appears in this story. Scripture says several times, the Lord was with Joseph. We see that in, in those good times, and we also see it when Joseph is going through a terrible time. The truth is, God was with Joseph through all of that. You know, there never was a time when God wasn't busy working behind the scenes. He was with Joseph, and he was also bringing something good out of something bad. We see that clearly toward the end of the story. And Joseph specifically says something amazing. 
after that big family reunion, the brothers start freaking out because they're thinking Joseph is going to drop the hammer, get, get them back for what they did. But he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Isn't that amazing? Joseph looks back across the, across the years. He looks back to that moment when he was the victim of cruelty and hatred at the hands of his own family. And he says, I see it now. I can't blame God for what you did to me. But God used it. He used it to bring something very good out of something very bad. And that's what God will do. He will ultimately set things right if you trust in him. So that's our challenge for today. How can we know for a fact that God is with us and then live according to that truth? And then how can we be 100% confident that God will eventually set things right? Well, I can actually give you a simple answer to the first question. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can know right now, without a doubt, that God is with you in this moment. Because when you give your life to Jesus, you have the presence of God's Holy Spirit living in you. He's with you through the highs and through the lows. He will guide you, lead you, provide you with exactly what you need to get through every day and every moment. If you are in Christ, you are never alone. But what if you are not in Christ? What if you haven't yet made that decision to become a follower of Jesus? Well, if that's where you are, you don't have the hope that comes from God's Holy Spirit living in you. But I want you to know that hope is available. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, we read this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. God loves you. He wants to be with you. Jesus came into this world and he died to pay the penalty for your sin. And through Jesus, you can experience the gift of forgiveness and salvation and God will draw near to you. So put your faith in Jesus. Put your life in his hands. Turn away from your old life. Be baptized into Christ and live this new life in God's presence from now through eternity. In that new life, you can be sure that God is with you. But then there's also that second question. How can you keep trusting that God will eventually set things right? You know, on some days, that trust comes easy. On other days, though, it's tough. You, you hit one of those low points in your timeline, and you wonder why God allows you to go through the things you're going through. Now, I can't do much to change your circumstances, but I can offer you a little different perspective today. You know, God's point of view is much bigger than ours. He can see far beyond what we can see. And he already knows the rest of the story. For example, God knew how he would set things right for Joseph years down the road. All along the way, God was working out a plan. But Joseph had to trust God through some dark days before he got to those better days. So that's a good perspective, but let's not stop there. Let's zoom out a little farther. 
You see, God also knew how he would set things right for the nation of Israel centuries down the road. There is a fascinating passage earlier in the book of Genesis when God is talking to Abraham, Joseph's great-grandfather. God kind of shows his hand a little bit here. He, he lets us know exactly what he's working on. Listen to what God says to Abraham in Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your, ser- your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. That's Egypt. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out, your descendants will come out of Egypt with great possessions. Did you get that? God had a plan to bless his people, the nation of Israel. And like Joseph, they would have to go through some hard times before God set things right. God laid out a path, and that path went through Egypt. And how did the people of Israel get to Egypt? Well, they get there through Joseph. We're going to see that over the coming weeks. The point is, God was working the whole time, and whenever the nation of Israel put their trust in God, they were blessed. But we're not quite done. Let's zoom out even further. In the end, God knew that his people would not do a great job of trusting him and obeying him. And that wasn't just the nation of Israel, that's all of us. All of us turned away from God to follow our own desires. And God knew that we would need a Savior, someone who would pay the penalty for our sins and open the door for us to have a restored relationship with God. God knew that we needed Jesus. And throughout the story of Joseph, throughout the story of Israel, God was working behind the scenes to bless all nations. He was working to bring a Savior to the world. You see, God knew how he would set things right for anyone who accepted him and trusted in him. An eternity down the road. There's a great passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It shows us God's cosmic point of view. Listen to what it says. God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the good news. God had this intention before the beginning of time. He, he had a plan. He, he wanted you to receive this grace that comes only through Jesus. He's, he's been working to give you this opportunity. So, through all the highs and lows in your life, can you believe that God is with you? Can you believe that he has a plan? Can you believe that he will ultimately work things together for good, even the difficult stuff? Now, he may not change your circumstances here in this moment. He may not fix everything exactly when you want him to, but ultimately, he will set things right, and you can trust him. 
I want to close by leaving you with a challenge. Uh, Every day this week, I want to challenge you to pray through four verses in Psalm 62. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed Scripture before, but it's really uh, pretty simple. Uh, Just make these words your prayer. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. So I'm going to read this. I'm actually going to pray this, and I invite you to pray along with me. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to have this relationship with you, to know that you are with us through all the highs and lows of this life, to know that we can trust you to work things out for good. Lord, as we look at the story of Joseph, I pray that you will speak to our hearts and help us have this confidence, live according to this truth, because I know that we will live differently when we know that you are with us when we know that we can trust you to set things right. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.